Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So have you ever known a, um, a pastor or a spiritual leader, somebody, maybe not, not in, in ministry, just somebody who was a godly person, somebody who walked with the Lord, and you respected them greatly. You felt like they, they just were in tune with God and everything that they said was holy and right and good. And then something seemed to, to happen. And it, and it wasn't like necessarily overnight. It was just through a period of time. And then you kind of was, you were disappointed because you became uh, disheartened that th- that person's not the same person that you grew to love and respect. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever seen that happen? And, and remember the weight of the feeling of disappointment and wondering how does a person go from, from being close to Jesus and, and, and somebody I admire so greatly to somebody that I don't even want to be in a room with? How does that happen? Well, you know, I wish I had the answer completely of how that happened, but I don't. But I think I might know a little bit of how it could happen in terms of some of the some of the possibilities. And so what I want to do is I want to go into the second half of the story that I told last week. Last week was 2 Chronicles chapter 15. This week, if you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Because what we have is the remainder of the story, or as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. This is, this is a man, a king... King Asa, king of Judah, he was a godly man. He was one that the Bible says fully or sought after the Lord with all of his heart. He was fully committed to him. And yet the end of his life was not glorious. The end of his life was was somewhat of a a, a deflation. It It was a bummer. And so the question is twofold. One, how does that happen? But two, how do we keep it from happening in our own lives? And and if you think that it's not possible to happen to you, beware. Because this is not isolated just to preachers or religious leaders. This is anyone and everyone who follows after God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we have the rest of the story of Asa's life. In verse 1, in the 36th year of Asa's reign... Bashah, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So let's set the story, okay? King Asa uh, had been leading the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Remember, after Solomon died, King Solomon, uh, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, which we retained the name Israel, and you had the southern kingdom, which got the name Judah. And so you now had two kingdoms, and with two kingdoms, you get what? Two kings. And anytime you have two kingdoms with two kings, what do you have? War, right? They're now, instead of being one nation, they're warring nations. So they're constantly fighting against each other. Well, the king of the north, Basha, and all these names just boggle my mind, so just bear with me, okay? Okay. it might be Basha today and it might be Busha tomorrow. Who knows? So Basha, the king of the north, decided that he was going to block anybody, any of the fighting men from coming down into Judah. 
He wanted to basically cut off Asa, King Asa's supply of men because he was afraid that Asa would grow more powerful and war against, against uh, Basha in the northern kingdom. And so he was setting up this roadblock in a town called Ramah. In verse 2, Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and out of his own palace and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. He said, let there be a treaty between me and you as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. So the king of Aram... Ben-Hadad had a treaty with the king of the north. Well, the southern king said, I know what I'll do. I will make a treaty with Ben-Hadad, and the two of us will be partners, and then Israel, the northern kingdom, will be our common enemy. And if we do that, then the northern kingdom will be fighting the king of Aram, and we will be set free. To see how that works? Now listen, that was a brilliant military strategy. If, if you or I were in the room, we would have said to King uh, Asa, that is brilliant. That's exactly what you should do because it worked. It worked in that the king of the north had to remove all of his men and start fighting against Ben-Hadad. He was totally distracted. The strategy worked. Then King Asa went up to Ramah, took all the stones that were being built uh, to, to block the, the place, and he then took that stone and went and fortified some of his strong cities. So from a military perspective, it was exactly what should have been, uh, been done, and it worked. But there was one slight problem. We know that's a problem because the next verse tells us that a seer confronted Asa. You see, just because something is smart, just because something is wise, just because something, is, something works, doesn't mean that God is in it. This is where I think men go wrong and women can go wrong as well. I think we go wrong when we rely upon what seems to work as opposed to what God said we should do. And in a sense, success breeds our own downfall. Now, you know, I'm not going to talk about people specifically, but, but I know people in, in my, my life who they're not quite the man of God they used to be. They've fallen from that, from that sensitivity, from that closeness, from that, that ability to hear from God. And the only thing I can, I, I can think is they started thinking that they were the ones that got them to that place. They started to believe their own press. They started to think that, that all that the blessing of their hands have, have brought about was because of their own wisdom or strength or whatever. And let's not be too hard on preachers because you and I, well, I'm a preacher, but you are in the same spot. You're in danger of the same thing. The danger of thinking that the faithfulness of the past will carry you on to the end. Listen. Just because you were faithful in the past doesn't mean that God's blessing will remain on you and through you all the way to the end should you choose to become unfaithful. 
It doesn't work that way. In fact, the exact opposite is the case. The, the more faithful you are in the past, the closer you come, become to God, the, the, the more, more you're able to hear His voice, which is inversely what we think it is. In other words, the closer we get to Him, the softer He speaks, not the louder He speaks. And so, because you know Him and because you walk with Him, you are actually more accountable, not less accountable. Which happens when the spiritually mature forget to be a child. To whom was Jesus speaking when he said, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant among you? Who is he talking to? He's talking to us. I mean, he's talking to his believers, but he was talking to us. When he said, here, let me demonstrate it with the object lesson. Bring me a child, Right? He had this child come and said, this is the picture for you when you come to me, he said. This child is how we must come to the Father. But see, when we become spiritually mature, when we grow in our faith, when we start having successes from God, when God starts doing things in us and through us, we sometimes forget that he still called us to be a child. And, and, and that doesn't mean that we're not mature. It means that we still have the heart of a child, the sensitivity of a child, not the wisdom of a child, but the, the, the heart of a child. When we come to him and say, you know, I, I, I think I got this one. <laughs> By the way, have you ever done that? Lord, I got this one. I've done that once or twice in my life. One particular time, um, I, I've always had a love affair with boats. I mean, I just, I, I tell people, I've never seen an ugly boat. And I've never seen a boat that didn't have promise and potential. Ask my wife. I, I bring boats home like, like some people bring stray animals. Like, seriously, if I see a boat that's just begging for attention, I'm like, I'm going to go get it. In fact, I didn't buy my first couple of boats. They were given to me. I didn't have any money, and so I literally said to my, I was about 16 or 17, maybe a little later, older, but I think it's about 17. I, I, I said, you know, I really want a boat. And so I got in my car and I drove around the neighborhood looking for old dilapidated boats that nobody would want. And I would go and knock on the door and say, excuse me, I noticed you have an old boat there. Would you like me to take it to the dump for you? And eventually I got somebody to say, yeah, that'll make my wife really happy. So I said, my pleasure. See, I coined it. So I, I said, I took the boat and then I took it home and I fixed it up and I sold it. And I did that a couple of times because I just, boats have just been this, this, this thing in my life that I've just, I've just love. I mean, they're, they're great. Not love. Like you can't love something, can't love you back. But I, I, I love these, I like these things. I greatly like these things. But there are a few times, one in particular I'm thinking of that I, I didn't really consult the Lord on it. And those boats have always been the biggest pains. One time I was perusing Craigslist and I saw a little boat for sale and I said, that's a great deal. I'm going to go buy it. And the moment I said that in my heart, I heard God's voice say, uh, you didn't ask me about that. I'm like, yeah, but it's a great deal, God. Of course. It's a great, I mean, how would you not want this, Right. And I made an appointment. I went to see it that night. All the way there, I had this uneasiness inside. And the Lord was like, you know, that's, that's not really what you need to do. I'm like, but it's only 800 bucks, right? I got there, and it wasn't what I thought it was. But I was so convinced that I wanted it, I bought it anyways. Five years later, having used it, 
twice I sold the boat. My family probably knows which one that was. I was rejoicing when I sold it. I had replaced an engine. I had done... It was the biggest pain in the rear you could imagine. Here's the point. I knew I wasn't supposed to get it, but I did it anyways because I want what I want, and I want it right now, and I paid a price for that. Has anybody ever done that in this room? <laughs> you know what I love about you? You are so teachable, man. You, you wear your heart on your sleeve, and you are you just, man, I love that about you, Chad. I'm talking to Chad, by the way. Man, he's like, yep, me. But think about it. When you do something without asking God, you were in danger. King Asa made the right decision, but he had the wrong heart. God could have said, this is the plan, and it could have been exactly the same plan. It wasn't about the plan, it was about who made the plans. And this is what we have to really be careful about in our own heart. And here's the problem, our hearts are deceitful above all else, what the Bible says, right? And so we make plans, and we, we attribute them to God sometimes, and God's like, whoa, don't blame me for that one, right? We, we have to have this sensitive heart, and we, I cannot say this point enough. It's not the sensitive heart that we used to have. It's about today. Am I listening to God today? Am I sensitive to His Spirit today? Yesterday was great, but yesterday's gone. What about today? Now, there are some things you don't need to pray about. Did you know that? Like, you never have to say this to the Lord. Lord, should I be unfaithful to my spouse? Never have to pray that prayer. That is not a prayer that you need to pray. God has already clearly said faithfulness. I mean, so you don't have to pray that. You, shouldn't, you, you never have to pray, Lord, should I run this joker off the road because he cut me off? That's never a prayer you need to pray. So, so, what do I mean by pray about everything? It's about having an attitude or a heart of prayer. You may not even speak the words in a prayer, but your heart is in the condition of prayer, and there's a listening spirit. And so, as you're going, as God speaks to you, you listen to, to, to what He says. Like, for with the boat, I should have said, whoa, time out. It's a good deal on paper, but God said no. And I, there's a reason I told you the story about the silly little boat. is because this is not reserved to spiritual matters. They are all spiritual matters. Turn to your neighbor and say, they're all spiritual matters. They are. I, now, eating that chocolate chip cookie from Chick-fil-A is the exemption. That is, that is totally, God always says yes. That is always a go. Okay? Everything else... It's a spiritual matter. You say, well, how can something human be spiritual? Well, because you, can you divide your body and your soul? Can you divide your mind and your body? I mean, can you go, oh, I'm just going to act in the mind over here. No, you can't. Why? Because your mind is in your body and your soul is part of who you are. You can never separate that. Not only that, but can you be light or, and not light at the same time? 
No, there's a completeness about who God made us. And so having the heart and the attitude of listening to God, being sensitive to his spirit, yielding to him, we may not specifically pray, Lord, should I go this way or should I go that way? But as we are going, our heart and our attitudes are listening and we're obeying as we hear. That's what the New Testament is talking about when he's saying, live in the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To live in the Spirit means you're listening. Now, I do think that on many things, if not most things, there, there should be some active conversation. But I don't want you to get hung up on that because it really is about having a listening. I think that's what Paul meant when he said, pray what? Continuously. Be in the Spirit of God. So Asa sinned against God... Not necessarily in what he did, although that could have been the wrong thing. It was more about the fact that he didn't ask God about it. And this is the danger for us when we are spiritually successful. We forget that God is the one who ordained our steps. We forget that God is the one who built the house. We forget of all the mighty works that God did, even when we completely failed. It never ceases to amaze me how I can do something, and, I'm, and, I, and even though I failed at it a hundred times, I, I can do something, make it, go, wow, I, I did good. Well, what about the hundred times I failed, right? How can I take credit when there's a, there's a trail of failure? That's the human heart, isn't it? Listen to verse 17. Uh, excuse me, not 17. I, I jumped ahead. Uh, verse 7. At the time, or at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great members and chariots and horses? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered you into, he delivered them into your hand. The Bible, what, what the seer is telling Aram, the king, uh, Asa the king, he's saying, look, did you forget the past? Did you forget that the Libyans... You know, the Cushites, did you forget that they were a mighty army and you could not beat them except that God made a way where there was no way? Did you forget how that worked? If you only would have asked the Lord, he would have given you, the, the, he would have given you this battle before you, but because you didn't, you will now be at war the rest of your life. So if you go into 15, what you'll find in the very last verse, verse 19, it says, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So essentially, 20 years of peace was all ended because Asa thought he had it handled. He ruined a good thing. Now, does that seem a little harsh? And, you know, another thing that's always seemed harsh to me, remember Moses? You know how Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land? Now, remember the story of Moses. Moses uh, was, was the child who was, was uh, saved by the Egyptian's daughter. 
And then he was raised in, or raised in Pharaoh's house, the Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's household. And then um, he became, you know, uh, basically an outcast because there was a, a murder that he committed. And he ran away afraid. And then God sent him back and he delivered God's people from Israel. Or excuse me, delivered God's people from Egypt out of, out of bondage and slavery. And then as he was leading them through the wilderness for 40 years, they were always looking towards the promised land, right? And so through that whole uh, saga, not saga, the whole saga, S-A-G-A, through the whole saga, the promised land was the goal. Or it was the human goal, the physical goal. He got all the way up to the edge of it, and he sinned. By a very simple act. A very simple act. Seemingly meaningless. God said do it one way. He did it another way. And then God said to him. Because of this sin. You will not enter into the promised land. I've always thought that was harsh of God. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought to yourself. What a bummer. I mean all he did was something a little bit different. You know, the more I reflect on that, the more I realize that we are truly accountable for every little thing. And the more we know God, the more accountable we are. Jesus said it this way. He talked about being faithful in the little things, being faithful in in more, right? He who is faithful in the little or he uh, 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 he who much is given, much is required, right? So there's, this, there's this, this waiting, I guess, if you will. Moses knew better. And it wasn't a simple disobedience to him or for him. And so what God did was God stood him on the edge and said, See, all the land the light touches is yours. No, he didn't really say that. That was Mufasa. He said, he said, he said this is the promised land. Actually... As I, as, I, as I reflected on that, my, my, not anger, but my angst about how harsh it seemed actually turned into how graceful it was. God said, you know what? You're not going to step foot into the land. But I'm going to show you my promise. I'm going to show you that I always keep my word. And I have a feeling at that point, Moses, now now I'm totally just imagine, I'm processing this in my own heart as as a human, not, this is not, you know, the Bible doesn't say, I'm just thinking through this, right? If I were Moses, if I were Moses, I think I'd be thinking, oh man, I really wanted to, wait a minute, I'm standing next to God. Yeah, you can keep the promised land. If you have been faithful to God, and if he has blessed you, if he has ordained your steps, if you have have seen him work in you and through you, and if you have been able to hear his voice and you have have experienced him uh, and his presence in your life, don't fall into the same trap as Asa. Don't allow your own self to become bigger than the voice of God. And don't assume that because he told you before, it's the same. 
I think there's actually a lesson in there. If you look at the way God does things, just because he did it this way here doesn't mean he does it this way here. That's actually what happened to Moses, remember? One, you strike the rock. The other, you speak to the rock, right? I mean, it was different. And if you look at the way God does things, he doesn't do same things the same way every time. You ever wonder why that was? Because we'd stop asking God. We'd just go back to the book and say, okay, I need to cast out a demon. Okay, there you go. It, it, it's, not, it's not programmed because it's about relationship. So, Hanani said, because you relied on the king of Aram, you are going to be always at war. But verse 9 is a verse that you and I need to take to heart. I learned this many, many years ago, and it's always echoed in my heart. Verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Think about what that verse says. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. I learned it in in a King James Version. It goes like this. For the eyes of the Lord range to and fro. Never found fro, but they range to and fro, seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully steadfast upon Him. What does that mean? That means God is always scanning the earth. He's always looking. Now, He doesn't actually have a head, and He doesn't actually take binoculars and look. It's the idea of Him knowing what's in the heart of man. And when He finds a man, when He finds a woman whose heart is fully committed to Him, the purpose of Him finding them is to strengthen and to support and to gird up that person. That tells you and me that when we find the heart of God, He is pleased when we do that because He supports those who find His heart. You know, I I used to be, actually just this week I was told that I, I, I have pretty good eyes. Now, I actually don't have nearly the eyes I used to. I used to, used to be able to see anything. When I was dove hunting, I'd be the first guy in the, in the, in the, the field. There's a bird. would be like two miles away, this little bird flying. You know, I could see that. That made no sense to you, but it perfect sense in my head. I'm just telling you. I could see these birds flying in, and I would actually tell everybody, hey, they've got some coming from the south. They're like, how do you see them? I eat carrots. What do you think? As the older I get, the harder my, it has been to see things because my eyes are old. Wow, actually. Kind of makes sense there too, doesn't it? The older your eyes get, maybe the harder it gets to see things. Hmm. On, on the boat this week though, I was, I was driving and I was pointing out all the different bait that was on the top of the water. And the guy next to me said, man, how do you see these things? And I'm not seeing any of this. And I said, it's because I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. I am actively looking for what I'm seeing. God is actively looking for those who are fully committed to Him. Because it honors Him. And it blesses Him. Which begs the question, what does it mean to be fully committed to the Lord? What do you think? What does fully committed mean? I think it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. 
Fully committed means you're simply asking the question, does this honor Jesus? If the answer is yes, you go right. If the answer is no, you go left. That's it. Does this honor Jesus? You say, well, does that work for everything? Everything. It works for where you go. It works for who you talk to and how you talk to them. It works for what you buy. Everything. Does this honor Jesus? Another way to say it, does this bring glory to God? Why? Because the chief end of man is what? To glorify God. And if you believe the confession, the rest of it is, and to enjoy Him forever. Right? So if the chief in the man is to glorify God, then naturally the way our hearts are fully committed to him is to say, does this glorify God? I told you I love boats. I actually bought a boat. And that boat was one of the most glorifying to God decisions I've ever made. Can I get a witness? See, one of y'all out there is like, I've been wanting to buy one. I'm just going to talk to my wife. Baby, I'm going to glorify God. Right? True story. And, 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 I, and I'm, I'm specifically telling you about boats because I want you to hear this is not about the super spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Everything. I actually got a call from a guy who said, Jeff, I want you to buy my boat. I wasn't looking for a boat. I had a boat. I had three or four of them actually. I wasn't looking for one. But he goes, hey, I want you to buy my boat. And I go, man, that's a, that's a great idea, but I don't have any money. And I got a boat. He goes, no, this is a great boat. I'm going to give you a deal on it. I go, man, I, I love deals, but I, I, I can't buy a boat. He gave me a price. I'm like, whoa, that's a good deal. That's a heck of a deal. Man, I, I can't buy the boat. He goes, all right, dude. He called me a week later. He said, Jeff, I want you to buy my boat. I go, man, why do you keep, why do you keep bugging me on this? He goes, look, I believe God wants you to buy my boat. Now, anytime you throw that into it, you know, it's starting to sound interesting. I go, okay, what? He goes, I'm going to give it to you for this price. And I go, whoa. Seriously? And I had learned my lesson because it wasn't too long earlier or too much before that that I made that mistake, right? So here's what I said. I said, I'll tell you what, that is an amazing deal. But I need to pray about it. So let's give it a week. He, he had it on sale, by the way. It was in the papers, right? I said, give it a week. If nobody buys it, I'll buy it. So I hung up the phone. I was like, Lord, look. You know that this is great, but you also know that I, I, I don't want to do anything. I learn a little. I don't want to do anything outside of A week later, he calls me. Nobody bought it. I'd already talked to Shannon. She was like, let's go get it. So I went and I got the boat. I went to the bank and the bank was like, you sure there's something fishy going around here? I mean, they're like, there's no way. I bought the boat. I hooked, went back to his house. I hooked it up as I was driving away. I'd got a, a mile from his house and he called me. Hey, Jeff, uh, somebody just called, saw it in the paper. They want to buy my boat. I said, well, I'll bring it back. He goes, nope. God wanted you to have this. And you know what? There has been more God moments on this boat than I could ever possibly count. Why am I telling you this? Because everything is spiritual. Everything is holy. The boat, it, 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 it's just a tool in the hands of God. 
Your house is a tool in the hands of God. Your car is a tool in the hands of God. Your vacation is a tool in the hands of God. Everything that you have and you want needs to be subject to, is this a tool in the hands of God? And so you simply say, Lord, if you want it, I'm good. But if you say no, then no is the answer. Asa heard from the seer, and the seer very clearly said, you've done a foolish thing. And in verse 10, Asa was angry at the seer because of this. He was enraged. He was so enraged that he put him in a prison. And at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So Asa hears from the seer. And instead of having a soft heart, instead of saying, you know what? I, 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 I repent. I did wrong. He turned around and took his anger out at the seer, the one who gave him the news. Quick note, if you tell people the truth, if you're honest with them, they will shoot the messenger. But you should still be a messenger. Because if God says to be a messenger, then you answer to him, not to the person who wants to shoot you, right? But the wise man and the wise woman, when they hear a word from God, from a messenger, says to themselves, I should consider this. One of the, uh, one of the reasons I think godly men and women who start so strong and who do so much and who God uses so greatly, one of the reasons I believe they come to the dark side and start to have a ministry or, or a life or influence that is not quite what it was is because they stop listening to people. Excuse me. They stop listening to godly people who are helping them in their life to know God better. They stop having a teachable spirit and they start thinking that they've arrived and they can just finish the rest of their ride where they are. That is a sure sign of dangerous times. If you think that you're so mature that you don't have anything left to work on, then you are not mature at all. You are grossly immature. Why? Because all of us have feet of clay. We are all being built. The scripture says you are being built into a spiritual house. That means that when you're done, you're in the presence of Jesus. But up until that time, he's still building you. I told you this before, I think. But don't, don't uh, bear with me if you will. Because there, there's, a, there's a movie that's called Jiro Loves Sushi. Right? It's a documentary of a guy who makes sushi. In Japan. And, and, and I love this because it speaks to me about this very part of being teachable. You can get, find it on Netflix. I, I actually recommend it. It was fascinating, especially if you like sushi. To work for this guy, you have to basically dedicate your entire life. Seven days a week, he makes sushi. Jiro is a sushi master. He's a five-star, five-Michelin star, which essentially means you are one of the very few places in the entire world that has this uh, uh, notoriety. This tiny little hole in the wall, this old man who makes sushi, and his whole team has to give their entire life to it 
To give you an idea of how hard it is, if you are in charge of making rice, you have to make rice for like two years to actually learn to make rice. Did you ever know sushi was so complicated? I didn't either. And, 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 and you fan the rice. I mean, it's this really... But here's the point. Jiro, at 80-something years old, has attained one of the highest recognitions in the entire world as a, as a nobody store. And his son and a critic were asked about his, his, uh, his perfection. And when, when they spoke of him and perfection, they both noted that, their fa- or that this Yiro, this, this master of sushi, never is fully satisfied. The critic said something to the effect of, I asked him, I said, now that you've perfected sushi, he goes, no, 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 no. I can always do better. I don't know why, but that just hit me like a ton of bricks. If this guy who has such accolades could always do better, why would we think that as followers of Jesus, we will always get things right? And why would we be offended when somebody who loves us comes and says, hey, you might want to work on this a little bit. Why would we be upset when God the Father disciplines us and moves us into something that we're blinded to to help us be better. That's not an act of, of embarrassment. That's not an act of criticism. That's an act of the greatest love possible. Amen? So the only thing that would cause us to reject the wise and spiritual words of, of, of somebody who's speaking for God in our life, the only reason to reject that is pride. And pride comes before the fall. You know, I was thinking through this, and as a father, today's Father's Day, I, uh, all the time I'm criticizing my children. Not criticizing, though, in a mean way. I'm, 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 I'm picking apart little things that everybody else lets go. And as I was processing this, I'm thinking, why do I do that? Like for Hannah, when she was running for high school, after the run, everybody like, oh, he's so great, so wonderful, oh, it's the best thing ever, ever, ever. I would, I would of course, hey, it's great, it's amazing, but I would always, I would always try to find one thing that I could, that I could kind of like, you know, just point her in. Because, here's why. Because as a father, I knew that everybody was going to tell her how great. She hates this, by the way. Everybody was going to tell her how great she is. And she is great. But she can be better. It's not a behavior thing. It's a, I wanted as her father for her to be everything that she was supposed to be. And for Sarah leading worship... She killed it this morning on that song. I'm just telling you, I'm back here going, wow. But after, after she'd lead, you know, for the last couple of years, I'd be like, man, that's good, but you know, th- th- what about this? And, and, and it comes across as critical and it comes across as harsh, but because I love my child, I want her to be the very best that she could possibly be, and that won't happen when only good things are said. Yesterday in the boat, I was trying to tell Josh, don't go into the waves. Go this way. Slow down. Speed up. 
And people on the boat were probably thinking, just let the kid drive. And I'm thinking, I don't want him to die. And I don't want to die either. So it's good for both of us. But what seemed like criticism, see, the heart of someone who hears that could be, leave me alone and stop being mean. Or it could be, I understand your heart. So thank you for telling me the truth. Notice I didn't do a wife example there. But it's the same. She to me, oh, by the way, for my kids to criticize me. Oh, oh, can we go there? Here's the thing. Those of us who are spiritually mature or consider ourselves spiritually mature have to recognize that sometimes those who are younger or what we consider not as mature still have words that God can speak through them to us. Let that, let that soak a little bit. I'm going to eat these words. <laughs> but the truth is, isn't that what humility is all about? I kind of feel like there's a shift in this place this morning. Isn't that what humility is all about? The ability to learn and recognize when we don't have it right. And the ability to help others along, not because you want to get them, but because you love them. What if just in this place, we decided that we would, we would spur one another towards good works? Because our honest heart was, because I love you, I want to lift you up. Because I want you to be all that God has created you to be. I want you to do all that God has put inside of you. I want you to dream all that God has given inside of your heart to dream. There's a truth as well that I actually just thought of. And that is this. I think that perhaps sometimes a man is not all that God has intended for him to be. Because the weight of his character cannot support all that God has intended him to be. And until the character can support it, why would God fulfill it in, in, in your life? You know how you get the character that will support all that God intends you to be? It's by allowing God to speak into your life through people like Hanani. What if Asa would have said when he got the news, hey, you disobeyed the Lord. What if he would have said, you know what? I think you're right. And then gone to the Father. Father, I, I, I confess I'm wrong. What if he would have had that heart? I think his story would have ended differently. But the exact opposite happened. I'm almost done here. The exact opposite happened. Verse um, 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 11. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of kings of Judah and in Israel. In the 39th year of the reign of Asa, uh, he was afflicted with the disease of his feet. Now, we don't know what that disease was. It might have been gout or, or something like that. But it was, a, it was a bad disease that basically caused him to be unable to be mobile. To, to, uh, it, it, it limited his mobility severely. And, and then it says, though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. 
When we harden our heart to the voice of God here, that hardness tends to continue to multiply over and over. Because it's almost as if we want to protect our own uh, pride and, and, and it just is a, is a very steep curve after that. So I want you to go back to people that you admire and love. They started off strong, but then they just changed. I can't tell you why they changed, but I can just tell you that when there's a change, it's disappointing. But know this, that does not negate that God was once at work in their life. And it doesn't negate everything that they've ever said. If I can take some liberty here, one of the dangers of our culture is that we, we take snippets of people's life and we completely write them off their entire life when in actuality we're just seeing one chink in their armor. And that's not fair and that's not human. Because you show me one man who does not have something that is a, that is a wound. You show me one woman who doesn't have something that is, that is not completely right. There is none. For Asa, he paid a great price for the hardening of his heart. At the end of his life, the Bible says, uh, he paid a great price, but at the end of his life, he died with honor because of what he had done. So here's the story, okay? You and I, as mature believers have to be on guard for the enemy. The older we get, the more mature we get. We have to be on guard against the hardness of a heart and the pride of, of, of our heart that, is, uh, that, that causes us to be unteachable and causes us to think, we got this, we don't need to ask the Lord about it. But even if we get to that point, it doesn't mean that God never used us. It doesn't mean that he never was glorified through us. It doesn't mean that our life was a, was, was a horrible waste. It just means that we didn't finish like we should have or could have. Where do you fit in this story? I had a conversation with a friend of mine this week. And... Um, we were talking about fathers and about his, his father, his family life and all. And he said, you know, Jeff, I was asked when my father died, what's the first thing that came to mind? What, 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 what did, he said, I was asked, what do I think about this? And here was his answer. He told the person asking, he said, the first thing that came to my mind when my father died was, what a waste. So what... What brought that on? He said, well, my father was never the man that God created him to be. Because he could never get over himself. He never had the humility of heart for God to fully work in his life. And he did great things, but nothing near what he could have done. Don't be that man. Don't be Asa. Amen? I pray this morning that you, like me, will just examine your own heart and allow God to, to work through you and in you. And look, take away the shame. The Bible says that, that there is therefore now no condemnation. If you are feeling shame and condemnation over, over some things in your life that are, that are not right, 
instead of just feeling shame and condemnation, give those to Jesus and let him wash you. Let him forgive you. And then let that condemnation go because that's not the way God has intended for you to live. It, 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 it goes from being a tool of the Holy Spirit to being a tool of the enemy. Shame should only bring us to the point of repentance. And I'm not even sure shame is the right word there, but it's in that same family, right? Guilt. That should only bring us to the point of repentance. And once repentance is there, we should be living free. That's the way we should be living. We should not allow that to, to follow us. Like the grease at Chick-fil-A will. If you were here last week, that made sense. You know, Jesus said, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and I will give him living water. And he himself will become a spring of living water. That's God's plan for you. Can we pray? Father, I do ask that today you would uh, soften our hearts. Help us to be willing and able to hear from you. Lord, give us a, a perspective on life that is, that is bigger than just the immediate of what we see. Lord, as Kevin said, help us to recognize that you win. You're on your throne. You will never be overpowered or defeated. Thank you that you said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. Father, I pray that anybody in this place today, anybody listening by way of Facebook, who's not ever trusted you as the Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that even this very moment, they would fall on their knees and repent and say to you, God, I know I need a Savior. I trust Jesus Christ. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I, I give you the keys to my heart and I give you the keys to my life. And from this day forward, I want to be your child. God, I pray that whoever it is that needs to pray now and trust in you, that they would do that. Lord, whatever it is you want to do in us today, you have a heart. We pray that you will find us fully committed to you. So we trust you to strengthen us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.